You know, originally, I was thinking my opening for this movie was going to be what Manvember needs is a lethal dose of tiger blood and Adonis DNA. And then I watched the movie, and uh, I think a better, more apt opening would be what Manvember needs is some antidepressants and a cigarette, because, boy howdy, this movie is fucking dark and depressing. But anyways, guys... Welcome to the Messed Up at Midnight podcast, the show that's elbow deep in existential dread to mask the crippling imposter syndrome we face on a daily basis. I'm your host, Max Steele, and as always, I'm joined by the man who's at war every day with himself. It's Michael Flaherty, everybody. Oh, you you already know the vibes. I've got I've got a Marlboro Gold in one hand. I've got a PBR in the other. I raided an army surplus store. And I've got my my sad boy emo music in the background. I'm I'm ready to get existential and I'm ready to get sad. Man Vimber's bi- uh, big sad time here at uh, at the messed up at midnight podcast. <laughs> we're but, we're we're big boys, big boys with big feelings. Now, today for the finale of Man Vimber, we are talking about the 1986 war film written and directed by Oliver Stone platoon and it's about a young naive soldier chris taylor who has to enlist in the vietnam war and his subsequent adventures i, I don't know mike I, that, 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 that I feels love, kind I of love wrong the, i love that you used adventures like he's freaking uh what <clears throat> tintin like he's just he's just traipsing <laughs> about vietnam happily like <laughs> so mike this movie I mean, it's it's an absolute classic. What what can you really say about Platoon? It's it, it, again, it's Oliver Stone has a very distinct style, which is very grandiose and very big. But for Platoon, oh my god, it is it's perfect. It's a classic. I think you're everyone's everyone's dad has some base knowledge of Platoon and is willing to like talk about how cool and kick-ass it is. And then there's also a subset of people who are also like, Jesus Christ, but it is so dark. Oh my God. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, it, it sidelined me. It sidelined mm-hmm. me in every which way. Now, a little peek behind the curtain, at least on my end, when I watch these movies that we cover, usually what I'll do is I'll sit there for the first time with my laptop taking notes as I watch the movie. You know, uh, maybe also try to get a quick watch in before we record, just, you know, get get it fresh back in my head. Now, I hadn't seen Platoon before. This is my first time watching it. And knowing its reputation, I just I put the laptop down for a second and just watched this movie normally for the first time. And I'm really glad I did because this movie mm-hmm. is an absolute experience. There's not really a plot in the traditional sense. There's not that, you know, the, the call to action presented at the end of the first act. It's more of just the life of a soldier and his slow descent into the horrors of war and those around him. Mike, I, here's the question I have for you. Mm. What makes this movie so good? It's oh my god, that's dude, that is a freaking impossible task. You already know that it is it is not possible to answer. I think it's a whole cornucopia of reasons and things. I think it's I think every single character that comes on screen, the fact that they have their entire lives 
written on their face. Their entire experience is just present. And every character is so unique and so individual. Mm -hmm. They all have their own clear-cut motives and morals and opinions on the war that every single character stands out and is compelling in some way. These characters are Mm -hmm. fantastically written. The movie has such a masterful balance of tension because mm-hmm. it makes it makes all of the really tense moments just really heart pumping and really intense and then all of the wind down you it feels almost like a worried fleeting sort of calm like it, you're you're relaxed but you're always on your toes and i think mm-hmm. it's that balance of compelling characters that tension and also just an all-around great story and setting that really just makes it one for the goddamn books Mm -hmm. and i want to point out some other things the direction of this movie is phenomenal the cinematography is absolutely beautiful and every single actor brings their a-game mike this cast I think it rivals Tropic Thunder in terms of just mm-hmm. being stacked. We have Charlie Sheen, you know, b- before he became a meme. Before he went nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have a young Willem Dafoe, who's the fucking good guy in this movie, which blows my mind. We have Tom Berenger, who was in One Life to Live. Keith David, who would go on to be in The Thing and Community. Forrest Whitaker. He's a familiar face here on the podcast. Ugh. Kevin Dillon, who was in Entourage. Mark Moses, who was in Desperate Housewives and later in Mad Men. John uh, McGinley Scru- was in Scrubs. Corey Glover, the lead singer of Living Color. Johnny fucking Depp is in this movie. And lastly, to round it out, we got Tony Todd fucking Candyman himself. Dude. It's, just the it's, ca- it, it's just it's got a whole bunch of young stars it, that would later really go on is. to, you know, define Hollywood. It it really is. That's my favorite part about it is that it's all of these young bucks in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And it's just all of them just putting their all into the role. There's no, it doesn't feel like, granted, a lot of these stars, a lot of these people already had their like breakout roles by this point. Like I know, like I know Charlie Sheen, uh, he had already been in the Hollywood circuit by then. And I know Johnny Depp. I know he was in Crybaby and The Outsiders and stuff like that. So he had he was already tangentially involved in Hollywood. But a lot of these people are relatively like starting out actors and they're just putting everything behind it. It really felt like Oliver Stone picked the actors, not because they were famous but because they actually fit every role that they were assigned to, which is the impressive part. And dude, get this. If Oliver Stone got his way when he wrote this script, like back in the seventies, when he wrote it, he originally had the idea of casting Jim Morrison in Charlie Sheen's role. Yeah. The dude from the doors, (laughs) but Jim Morrison act died and actually had the script with him in Paris where he died. And the manager gave the script back to Oliver Stone, which is fucking wild. That's sick. That's sick. That this it's not only got like movie clout, it's got music clout as well. Like it's just got the doors as Jim Morrison was holding it when he died in the fucking bathtub. <laughs> also, didn't mention this. Oliver Stone, 
actual Vietnam War veteran. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Oliver Stone, yeah, thank is. you for your service. Absolutely. Shouts out. And of course, uh, when we were talking about Tropic Thunder, I mentioned how Ben Stiller knew some people who worked on war movies and did boot camps, and it's no different here. The actors underwent a serious boot camp, which again is no joke. In fact, in an article, in an interview with The Guardian, John McGinley describes the training as, uh, and I quote, what was hard was learning how to read maps, load weapons, and be in this uh, triple canopy jungle out in the middle of freaking nowhere. We were eating MREs, meals ready to eat, and nobody could poop. <laughs> uh, Willem <laughs> Dafoe drank water from a from a river uh, when there was a decomposing oxen downstream, and he got uh, medevaced. Tom dropped a knife on his fucking foot. It was all getting terribly real, and there were snakes. Two weeks earlier, we were running around New York's West Side, West Village, having coffee, bagels, and talking about Hamlet. Now we're in the jungle with bamboo vipers, and uh, Charlie Sheen even said that he had to live in the same clothes with no shower, no phone calls to his agent, no letters to his girlfriend. Some of the actors even called uh, director Oliver Stone psychotic due to the intensity of the shoot and sleep deprivation. Johnny Depp came close to throwing up in one scene and Stone still insisted on getting a second take. Now, with all this being said, Mike, first of all, what do you think about that? I, I'd Again, you should not torture your actors. You should not torture mm -hmm. the people on set. This is not what I'm saying. It's really good that Oliver Stone is a good director who knows his shit. Because this is the same problem that you run into with people like Stanley Kubrick, who like mm -hmm. psychotically torture people on his mm -hmm. set. And he gets the best out of these people. But I always worry whenever I hear this crap that you mm -hmm. get some 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 idiot who just mm -hmm. thinks that in order to get the best out of your actors you need to torture them which is not the case but in any case i do think i do like that oliver stone sat them down and went no i was in vietnam i know mm -hmm. what it takes and i know what you have to do at minimum and that's what's going to happen so i do respect him for that yeah young filmmakers do not do this. Do not abuse your actors. Do not put them through hell. Don't think, oh, because Oliver Stone did it, I can do it. That No, that is absolutely not <laughs> the case. You probably aren't paying your actors. And if you are, it ain't much. Your actors can leave just real quickly. Pay them the big, big bucks and then, okay, maybe we'll talk about sending them off to a boot camp. I, but these stories <laughs> really need to come with like the asterisk that, hey – you are not Oliver Stone. You are not Stanley Kubrick. You are, you know, making this on a weekend for fun. Don't it's, put, don't like put your actors in the middle of the jungle with snakes around them and shit. You, Be near civilization. That's like, that's like sitting there looking to yourself and going, I mean, Gordon Ramsay made a beef Wellington without any instructions for a dinner party with someone who we needed to impress. I don't need, I can do that too. And you're like, no, you can't. I think you need a recipe, bud. I think you do. You are not Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> and lastly, before we get on to the drinks, this movie, I think this is our first best picture winner that we've covered on the show. It's, you know what? I'm surprised we got a best picture winner on this show, <laughs> truthfully speaking. I mean, dude, on this show, we can tell you all about the Razzies. <laughs> we best are. picture, not so much. <laughs> we are so freaking prepped. 
for the Razzies. Godspeed about the freaking Best Picture winners. So this movie won uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Film Editing, and Best Best Sound, and was nominated. Both Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe were nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Uh, Best Original Screenplay went to Oliver Stone, and then Best Cinematography to Robert Richardson. How Tom Berenger or Willem Dafoe did not win an Academy Award this year, I will never know. As a matter of fact, let me actually look up and see who won Best, you uh, just see, you best just Supporting see, Actor. You just see Sean Penn from I Am Sam just stole the, <laughs> stole the Oscar. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was Michael Caine for Hannah and Her Sisters. A movie I have never even heard of. This is, okay, this is totally, okay, I'm putting on my tinfoil hat now. I'm warning everybody. The Oscars are a fucking popularity contest. I swear oh to God. God. yeah. It is, no, it's. That's not really and, a conspiracy. And, and, I feel like I know that's, that's known. Not, I know that's not, but like, I'm, always, I, I'm so freaking gun shy about sitting there going like, it's bullshit, man. Like, but that being said, it's just Hannah and her fucking sisters are a platoon. Hannah and her fucking sisters. Granted, we're going to now need to watch it to, like, prove that Platoon is better. But damn. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Now, Mike, let's get to the ever most important question we have here on this podcast. If Platoon was a drink, what would it be and why? Okay, everybody. Get ready because it's a whiskey. Get ready for some whiskey in your life. Okay. All right. Yep. Depth. Everything like that. Whiskey. Now, I don't want to sit there and just say pull out a bullet or a Jack Daniels and call it a day. Hell no. This is this is a whiskey, but it's a whiskey that's it's got it's more than just a whiskey. It's something that you that has a certain twist to it, a certain flavor that all these like drama war movies have. They scratch the itch for certain people and do not for a lot of other people. So Mm -hmm. for that, let's go for a bourbon. Mm -hmm. And we want a really good solid bourbon. But this isn't some snooty, highfalutin sort of bourbon. This isn't what this movie's all about. This movie's about the everyman and just sort of the struggles of the human experience and all that really philosophical crap I don't want to get into. So... Grab yourself some old granddad bourbon. It's yeah. it's it's got some funk. It's got a lot of depth. It's interesting. It's got it's got the depth that this movie deserves. It can hold its weight for with with a lot of the more expensive, bigger movies or bigger whiskeys, but still have something to say and still be scrappy and still be good. So two ounces old granddad whiskey. Next, let's talk about the characters. We got everyone from Charlie Sheen to Willem Dafoe to Tom Berenger to Kevin Dillon to the lead singer of Living Fucking Color. Didn't expect to see him here, but here we are. All of these characters are so unique, so interesting. Every single person that is on screen steals the show. They all put their whole effort into making every scene and every second of the movie as memorable as possible. So with that, get half an ounce of lime juice, pour it in. Next, 
we have the the general horror aspect to this movie because it's a war movie and it's not it doesn't have the word comedy in front of it and the genres on imdb so it's gonna be tough so for that get some bitters and get some real bitterness in this drink because this movie does not shy away from bitterness you have you have the you have everyone from the soldiers just committing actual Geneva Convention violations in the village in in villages. You have them infighting. You have civil wars. You have Viet Cong just brutalizing U.S. soldiers. It is no one looks good except for the people who are the victims of all of these like hateful crimes. So get those dashes of Angostura bitters. Do not be shy. Don't put one in. Put like three or four. It's got to be a bitter drink. Mm -hmm. Finally, this movie isn't just a painful nihilistic venture. It does make efforts to show that these people at the end of the day are human. That these people all have thoughts and feelings and all have this light at the end of the tunnel for them. And those who haven't just, you know are just spiraling further and further down this path. So for that, grab some sprigs of mint. I want you to express the oils by flicking it a little bit. Rim it around your glass that you've got this in. Drop it in. And that's my drink. That's it. Mint and lemon. An interesting combination with mm-hmm. a bourbon. Yeah. Hmm. I'm telling you. That, that, that's... That's a strange. I haven't heard of that combination before. I might have to might have to check that one out and see right? if it's all you hyped it up to be. See, I'm telling you, it's a, it's it's good. It's got a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I'm. I hope it does. I hope it fucking does. Because if it if it's booty, then who? It's gonna be a bad look. You're gonna take a sip of it and just be like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, exactly. Damn it. Exactly. I just take a sip on a Friday night. And I'm like, ooh, classy. And then I sip it. I'm like, Bleh. oh, that's poison. <laughs> So again, you and I, we did had similar like measurements and even similar um, liquors. You'll you'll see what I mean. But I'd give it a try, Mike. The lemon and the mint. I'm, I'm you got you got me there. I'll, we'll we'll come back to that one. Okay, all right. So this is a great movie, but it's also an experience that's heavy. There, there's not a whole lot of happiness in war. Understatement of the century. So scotch would be a good guess. But while the quality in terms of the movie is there, I often associate Scotch with a little bit more class. These are military men. So I'm going to say, like Mike said, go out and get some bourbon, some American bourbon at that. You know, spend a good, spend some money to get a good, solid American bourbon. Pour in two ounces in your fancy whiskey glass. This is our military story and our lead, Charlie Sheen. My drink, much like Mike, there's not going to be a whole lot going into into it. I want to I want to preface that real quick. So we got Willem Dafoe's character. The, the, he is um, Elias, the good guy. Weirdly enough, like I said, I'm going to add in just a teaspoon of organic natural honey, j- just a little bit. Then we have Tom Berenger's character, Barnes, the bad guy. A few dashes of bitters, you know, make make it make it kind of you know balance out with the sweet and bitter thing, you know, just a few, just a couple of dashes, and I really feel like I could stop there because at the end of the day, this movie focuses on Charlie Sheen, 
Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger and their that that trio and all of the people around them. But we have war. We have other characters. So for this, I've used it before. You're going to break out your smoke gun. Yeah, you're going to smoke your drink. You can go on YouTube and look up tutorials on how to do this one. For the wood chips specifically, you're going to be burning to get that smoky flavor. I'm going to say go for more of a hickory flavor there. You know, get get that depth in there. Now, once you've smoked your drink, sip it slowly and think about your life choices. And that's my cocktail. Think about your life choices. Damn. You just, I just, you just gotta have, stand in the corner and think about what you've done. I was about to say, it's just, you sit there, you just play like really depressing, just like, like acoustic guitar music in the background as you just sit with your drink and just think about all the mistakes you made. It's, wow. Real chipper drink there, bud. I do like the smoking though. I do like the smoking. That's it's, I keep forgetting that, smoking your drink is like a thing that people do regularly right you see i forget about it too until i think i've only done this with like one other drink we've done on this podcast and i only really remember it when i see a movie and i'm like now this is a smoke movie like we need we need some smoky flavor in this and i yeah. don't want to use gin exactly that's my favorite it's just it's it's smoky and multi-dimensional and you're like just don't pick gin don't pick gin don't pick gin <laughs> But this isn't a gin movie, so hence the reason, you know, we go with the smoking gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good drink. Good drink. I'd I'd try the hell out of that. So guys, go go get a drink and think about your life choices. And let's dive right into talking about Platoon. Rejoice, O young men, in thy youth. We open up on a military base. We get planes, soldiers, trucks, the whole nine yards, and a group of soldiers exit a carrier, one of which is Mr. Tigerblood himself, Charlie Sheen. <laughs> he's, now, he's twitching. He's He's got his eyes, like, squinting and all that. He's he's ready to look like he's going nuts. But he kind of, he's not quite, you know, the, the hearkened badass soldier that, that you think he would be. He kind of comes off a little bit more naive throughout this movie because he, he sees body bags being dragged off a truck and also sees other soldiers. It's like it's like that meme of like when day shift sees the night shift and they walk <laughs> past each other with Charlie Sheen, weirdly enough, being the day shift and the other soldiers being at the night shift. I mean, dude, those people look fucking rough. I was about to they, they do the movie does an incredible job of showing almost how much of a meat grinder mm-hmm. the whole the whole experience is because you see Charlie Sheen go in to into Vietnam and then you see all the characters leaving Vietnam and they all look just just destroyed in so many ways, they all look mm-hmm. broken in some way, shape, or form. And it's, it is a really, really incredible and really powerful visual. The fact that you compared it to Night Shift is really hurtful because as a Night Shift person, I do take offense to that. I, I did my best to not look like I, I got hit by a bomb. Look, that's just a large, like, that's like largely how the night shift looks when, yeah, exactly. when coming up. No, no one in day shift looks at night shift and goes, there's a person who's got their life on track. <laughs> if you're on the night shift, something happened. Like you, you, yeah, you, something did. went wrong. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. Night shift, stand up. Not too fast, though. You're we're pretty tired. <laughs> so now we fade to somewhere near the Cambodian border. 
We see soldiers patrolling through the woods and climbing over waterfalls. Some soldiers fall down a hill. They are like fucking deep in the woods. And Charlie Sheen, like I said, doesn't look like he belongs in a war zone. One soldier, Sergeant Barnes, played by Tom Berenger, shouts out commands and tells Sheen to keep on walking. Sheen stops and finds a dead Vietnamese soldier and is kind of shocked by this. But to Barnes, it's just another day. Then we see another soldier, Lieutenant Wolf. He calls uh, back to base. Barnes tells uh, uh, Chris Taylor, Sheen, to stop being a bitch and throwing up. While Sheen is getting attacked by red ants, Willem Dafoe, young Willem Dafoe. I still can't get over that. He, Young no. Willem Dafoe is He's, in this movie. He feels like one of those guys that is like perpet. Like he came out of the womb at like forty, 40. or forty five years yes. old. He looks just been that way ever since. He looks. He looks forty five. Oh my god! <laughs> I just saw the. I just saw the face of Young Willem Dafoe, and I went, "No, no, son of a bitch!" And it's weird because it's like Young Willem Dafoe kind of looks the same as old Willem Dafoe and you're thinking oh well no shit but like <laughs> I don't know it it's weird to describe like it like his face doesn't change like with age like some people's do it's just no. the same shape and everything much like he ages the same way Morgan Freeman does where it's he doesn't he doesn't actually like like wrinkle and liver spots show up and all of that mm-hmm. he just he just gains a wrinkle every year much like morgan freeman gains a freckle every year it's it's just this odd aging process which you know shouts out to him stayed the same age for a long time so like we said defoe is being the good guy and offers to carry some of chris's stuff we go later on that day a helicopter lands and brings munitions to the platoon and you know it's just a day in the life situation with this scene we see soldiers shaving checking their weapons willem defoe's butt crack but not as gigantic dick for some reason (laughs) Lars von Trier was sitting in was sitting in the theater watching it and just went this is a disservice this is a disservice I need to see that man's penis (laughs) wasn't that your first thought when you saw Willem Dafoe like I just gotta see that guy's dick (laughs) everybody put your hand up if you haven't thought said to yourself I need to see Willem Dafoe's penis So we see one soldier by the name of King writing to his girlfriend and he can't write too well. We see another soldier, Junior, complaining about, you know, the food to Big Harold. And Big Harold is Forrest Whitaker. Nice to see you in an Oscar winning movie compared to fucking Battlefield Earth. I'd get you a man who can do both. Get you a man who can (laughs) be in dog trash like Battlefield Earth and also be a powerful, powerful character in Platoon. So a junior, he also looks over to see Charlie Sheen uh, digging a hole really poorly. And we get a voiceover of Sheen writing a letter to his grandma. It's about how tired he is, exhausted, how death is right around the corner. No one tells him how to do anything. And if you're going to get killed in Nam, it better be in the first few weeks. Not getting much sleep, it's all hell. He doesn't think he can keep this up for a year and, you know, he's made a big mistake. Now we go over to Barnes talking to Wolf, Elias, and Sergeant O'Neill. Movement has been spotted. The 3rd Battalion got attacked nearby. Barnes tells Elias to take his squadron out. Warren, another soldier, you know, he's going to stay back. And yes, Warren is indeed motherfucking Tony Todd, the Candyman. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, he is. It's, I saw him and I went, son of a bitch. Oh my God, you're here too? Like I, The other ones, like I, I knew that Willem Dafoe was in it. And I knew mm-hmm. Johnny Depp was in it. But like, 
I just saw Tony Dodd and I went, how how are you here too? <laughs> like, oh my God, it's like the Avengers, but for dudes in the 90s and 80s. You know, this movie really shows like, it, maybe if you don't tell the audience like, or like, you know, constantly put it on posters like hey who who here's uh who's gonna be in this movie imagine what tropic thunder would be like that would be just hysterical ben stiller that's all you know and yeah, it's just everybody you know just is, randomly showing up yeah exactly all you know is ben stiller is gonna be in it that would be great that would be fantastic so elias speaks up he says it's not his turn to be on patrol you know plus elias has the new men and barnes says the veterans need to go out so wolf speaks up to barnes barnes just threatens him with his body language no later we see the soldiers preparing to go out on patrol. Chris, Charlie Sheen, gets shown a picture of Gardner, Gardner's uh, girl, waiting for him back home. Another soldier, or not, you know, after all, he is a soldier. So, you know, she's probably long gone by now. So Elias <laughs> swings by and starts, you know, tossing out stuff to uh, the pair, bringing on, on a patrol. They're like, you don't need this, don't need this, don't need this. Elias tells Tex to get, uh, he gets Taylor, you know, Tex ain't all too happy about that to get the new guy. Elias gives advice to the two new soldiers, you know, sit tight. If you're lost, you know, we'll find you. So the soldiers venture off in the woods on patrol as a storm rolls in and the shots here are absolutely fucking stunning with the lightning in oh the background with God. the soldiers in the foreground. Oh. It's, it's chef's kiss. I, I actually, I saw, I, it's, there are certain see, like moments in the movie mm -hmm. that are jaw-dropping. Like even, the, even th though the fact that this movie was made in the 1980s, which I know to which to to a certain amount of people is is like an active turnoff that like there's that sort of graininess to it. Oh mm. my god, it takes your breath away. Like I literally was like, Jesus Christ, that's beautiful. Just all of these people trudging through the night as the storm just just beats down. So later at night, while it rains, Chris continues to you know do a voiceover talking about his parents' wishes for him. You know, wanted him to have the typical typical yeah, typical middle class existence. But Chris has always been special. He wanted to do something for his country. You know, he's he's with you know guys nobody cares about. They all come from small towns, no one's heard of. You know, maybe they have a job back at a factory. They're at the bottom of the they know it. So later, it's Chris's turn uh, on watch. Text the other soldier asks him uh, if he knows how to work the claymores, and Chris uh, Taylor does. Hit the button three times. He's got it. So Tex makes a point uh, to tell Chris, hey, don't go to sleep. So Tex goes to sleep. We have more voiceover. Chris just wants to, you know, be something he can be proud of. Chris still watches on his patrol and he wakes up Junior. At, you know, it's Junior's shift. And, you know, Chris passes Junior a scope and a gun, but Junior falls back asleep. And so does Chris. Later, Chris wakes up to a black ants all over him. You know, a lot of time has passed. And in the distance, Chris spots an enemy soldier leaning up against a tree the tension rises. It is revealed that more sold that there's more soldiers, and Chris now has to think. You know, he's does he alert the others or does he set off the claymore? What's he gonna do? Well, what's what's great in this scene specifically is you see, it's it's really nice that Oliver Stone doesn't allow it to just immediately occur. Like you you sort of wake up with Charlie Sheen and you sit there and look around. And you you realize with the character how many people they are and how mm -hmm. this is. And you can literally see that things are going to kick off. Mm -hmm. Like you can just see the heads just start to multiply. And like it just goes from one to two to six to ten. And then you go, oh, shit, this is going to this is going to turn into something. 
yeah, the movie does a really good job of like having the enemy's presence be known without really ever showing the enemy. Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, a constant thing that they're feeling. And when we yeah. do see them, we're like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah, man, we're, it's we're screwed. It, it's the same. It's the same concept that I feel like alien and the OG like Texas Chainsaw and Halloween mm-hmm. implemented where it's you show the thing as little as possible mm-hmm. and let your audience just put put together how scary it is. Mm-hmm. So the enemy soldiers are getting closer and closer, but another soldier wakes up. Tex yells at Chris to blow the claymore and, you know, a firefight ensues. It's all mayhem. Someone tosses a grenade. One soldier gets shot. It's Gardner. He gets hit. And Chris also gets hit. So the doc attends to Chris. Chris gets yelled at by Junior for sleeping on the shift. Barnes gets up in Gardner's face for screaming in pain. You know, he yells, take the pain, you know, face the pain. Like, you know, he's a fucking new metal band. And then Barnes puts up, puts finishing bullets into enemy soldiers. Big Harold. He, he just puts on, he just puts on a red flat brim and goes, it's all about the East. And she said, bullshit. <laughs> Barnes looks like he listens to Limp Biscuit before he goes out on patrol. It's like this is the perfect music to beat beat my underlings to. So Big Harold uh, tends to Chris, and Big Harold is like, "Dude, you're gonna be getting three square meals a day. You've been shot. You know, you get to go to the med tent. The nurses are gonna be all nice to you. You know, you get fresh sheets. You know, it's all it's all good." But Gardner, he ain't looking too good though. He ends up dying, and you know everything is quiet. And Barnes pipes up, "Look at this hunk of shit. Don't fuck up in a firefight. Out here, you keep your shit wired tight at all times." Don't sleep on no fucking ambush. The next person who falls asleep, I'm going to take an interest in seeing them suffer. That is one bad motherfucker. Yeah, it's so fast. I mean, the movie already makes sure that you, the audience member, are so clear that Mm -hmm. Barnes is a bad motherfucker because he has a scar going down the side of his face. So if you were in any case wondering who the bad guy was, Oliver Stone really just puts it in big bright lights but even why do they then, call him why do they call him scar <laughs> it's because because he loves hugging kids because he loves he he volunteers at the animal shelter down the road no it's he and the way he talks to his underlings and the way he treats the dead is just such an easy tee up for foreshadowing like you easily can tell what's going to happen without mm-hmm. knowing exactly what's going to occur. So Chris pipes up. He's like, uh, I didn't fall asleep. It was junior and other soldiers, you know, get in his face. Elias speaks up defending Chris. You know, he, he gets on his, on his orders. Elias speaks to Barnes being like, Hey, the kid would be alive if he had a few more days to, you know, I don't know, learn something like they were talking about earlier. Now go to a few days later, Chris is recovering at camp. He's got light duty and talks to King. Who's got a bunch of beers. O'Neill tells King and Chris, you know, come with them. They're on latrine duty, moving, moving like actual human shit out in the hot heat. Uh, King, Chris, and the other soldier Crawford talk about how many days they got left. And King is just like, man, how the hell did you get here? Apparently, Chris dropped out of college and volunteered for this. Why should the poor kids go off to war while the rich kids sit back? And the King is like the poor and the King is like the poor always being fucked over by the rich. Always has. Always is. Not a whole lot has changed since the 80s. I was about to say, I love this escapist fiction. Ha ha ha. What a silly, what a silly little ridiculous thinking said. So later, by the way, to the soundtrack of White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, 
Oh, hell yeah. Great Bring in the Vietnam music, baby. Dude, great fucking soundtrack with this movie, oh. man. Well, I also think it's so... I think of all of that, like, classic Vietnam music, like, I'm obviously Fortunate Son, uh, the frickin' For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield, all of, all of those Vietnam songs, this mm. is absolutely the most fitting one because it's not this big bombastic here comes America, baby. It's more of this like quiet sort of like psychedelic-y sort of weirdness mm-hmm. that just gives this weird feeling of uncomfortableness, <clears throat> which really pairs well with the movie. So now we go to some hangout spot with a bunch of weed smoking soldiers. Elias just, yeah. sit, just fucking sits in the corner it's eating the, a banana. It's the, it's the cool. It's the cool kids because you get all the because you get you get him come down and everyone's just smoking weed, chilling out. Like you just see Elias just just gobbling a fucking banana. And it's just and you're Chris, like, Chris you're is like, just standing there like. Am I in the back of the school bus now? This is so cool. <laughs> exactly. This is he graduated to the back of the school bus. He's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. So Chris, you know, he takes a takes a hit of weed like it's his first time. You know, Elias checks on Chris. You know, being like, oh, this is your first time. You know, you feeling good? Feeling good? It's good enough. Then pulls out a gun, tells Chris to put his mouth on the gun. No, he doesn't shoot him. Elias blows smoke into the gun. Chris inhales some more smoke, and we're all just sitting there, just like word yeah it's, that was my favorite it's just he's like he's like put your mouth on the gun and i was like damn these are these are some weird dudes but okay and then it's just you just see him get down and i'm like all right fair enough fair enough now over at the bunks uh, we see some other soldiers sit around and talk junior he talks about motown music and he doesn't smoke weed another soldier bunny talks about conspiracy that the vietnamese are putting chemicals in the grass to make them pacifists this generation's uh, turned the friggin' frogs gay uh, uh, it's, it's the front of the bus <laughs> it's the fucking front of the bus then lieutenant wolf arrives and there's a confederate flag up in one of the bunkers okay o'neill and yep, Barnes. it's the super front of the bus <laughs> No, this is a, this is a way in the front, and uh, some of the trucks in front of the bus. <laughs> yeah, it's the truck in front of the bus. They're not even going to the school. They're just happy to be here. So Neil and Barnes, they play cards. Wolf is like, you know, the cool principal talking to the kids, like, "Hey guys, everything doing? Everyone doing okay? You know, like, oh, ha ha ha." Uh, Wolf leaves. O'Neill calls Wolf a sorry ass motherfucker. O'Neill goes on about, you know, Wolf ain't gonna make it and shit. And this actually brings up like something I read. Um, I wasn't able to confirm this, but on the I saw it on the IMDb trivia, and I'm I don't know if it's so you know take it with a grain of salt. But in many U.S. military leadership classes, the character of Lieutenant Wolf is used as an example of how to not behave as a junior officer. Which <laughs> fair, yeah, he, he ain't that good of a he ain't that good of an officer. He's he's a pretty terrible officer. He is a pretty freaking terrible officer. So back with the soldiers smoking weed in the back of the school bus, it's just partying, smoking, drinking. Even Chris is having a good time to the sounds of uh, tracks of my tears. Now we're back in the forest. Chris, more voiceover. Just another day of staying alive. And that's a really good way to summarize this movie. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. I was making a serious point, Michael, and you just had to read. Don't worry. John Travolta is not in this movie, Mike. He's not eating pizza anywhere. <laughs> So, you know, there's been little firefights and ambushes, but nothing too crazy that we've seen. 
apart from the opening firefight. So Barnes motions to Chris, you know, something's nearby. A bunker is near. Barnes goes off to investigate. Then the rest of the soldiers investigate the bunker. There's a fire, clothes hanging up, a weapon and camo lying around. The soldiers radio into base. Elias, he enters a hole in the ground to go investigate. And Chris goes off to keep watch. You go underground with Elias. He's walking through darkness over with Chris. Um, he's smoking a fucking cigarette in the woods ten, and watches. Just tense. tension. Oh, just yeah. Just tension. It's so fantastic. Because I could literally, you, you, I could literally feel my heart pick up the pace mm-hmm. when uh, the moment Elias enters the tunnel. You sit there and you go, oh, because it does the claustrophobia. It also show it, it shows so much just with Elias just quietly going through because you don't know if you're going to get jump scared. You don't know if he's going to get killed and you should be sad. Like, it's just you're just so tense. It's so nice. Willem Dafoe passes John Rambo as they're walking. I was like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? Yeah, just, just walk like, right past like, each oh. other. He's like, oh, I was going to I was gonna, I was going to go kill some officers in Seattle. You want to come? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm good now. <laughs> no, we go over to some other soldiers inside the bunker. Uh, one named Sandy investigates some stuff left behind while Sal, the other soldier, is like, oh, geez, man, I don't know about this one. And we go <laughs> – Oh shucks! Oh gee, Willikers, guys, I think I think we I think we done messed up here. <laughs> Sounds like such a nerd. So over with Elias, he's discovered a hiding hole and a bed that has blood stains on it, and a dead Viet Cong soldier. Over with Chris, a snake slithers between his legs. He almost collapses. Over with Elias, he peeks out of a hole, spots a Viet Cong, and shoots him real quickly. Over with Sandy and Sal, they found maps. And they're like, oh, this is this is really good. You know, we, we got to take this back to the rest of the guys. He picks up like the container that had the maps in it and it explodes with Sandy got, getting an arm blown off and he's fucking dead. All the soldiers return. Everyone is shocked. They make a call back to base. They need help like ASAP. Elias tells Wolf they need help. The place is littered with traps. Apparently the NVA has been spotted in a village nearby. Elias is to leave four of his men and a medic behind just in case. This scene, talking about it now, you think that the worst, you know, the the peak of the scene comes when Elias shoots the Viet Cong soldier, mm-hmm. which just makes the explosion all the more shocking. Exactly. That and that's another thing that I really enjoy is how you get the rug pulled over you in a good way mm-hmm. with the with the tension being broken by Elias shooting the person and then just out of nowhere you just see the explosion from it and you're just the way you get bait and switched into mm-hmm. just sort of relaxing as the explosion happens I feel like that's a really good just sort of play into the whole you got to stay on your toes sort of idea mm-hmm. Now, over with Chris, he he looks at Barnes, who's something, something's not quite right with him. The rest of the soldiers, they're asking, like, hey, where's Manny? He's another soldier. They can't find him anywhere. So the soldiers start walking off. Elias and his men wait for the engineers to arrive. Manny was found dead down the river by the rest of the soldiers. So the soldiers continue to venture into the village. They pass a villager standing there who runs off and is subsequently killed by one of the soldiers. In the village, the soldiers enter and start, you know, just fucking wrecking the place and you know scaring the women and the children villagers barnes looks in a hole and threatens to shoot and you know pulls out two children and a woman and fucking tosses a grenade in a hole fucking killing two people like dude's heartless you said scaring the women and i just the first thing i thought was he's scaring the hose 
<laughs> Barnes is scaring the host. Dude, listen, you take Barnes out to the bar with you, you're you're going home empty-handed. Like Exactly. You, you imagine going out. You'd be like, all right, it's a Friday night, Barnes. You ready to go out? He goes, Yeah, yeah, I'm ready to go out. You're like, okay, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. I'm gonna go out with Willem Dafoe. He, he he's at least oh, likable. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no freaking shot. He he parties. He parties. They developed a coke habit and became the Green Goblin. <laughs> Elias actually survived, and then he just shows up and he just has a fucking coked out Norman Osborn. <laughs> Snow in the house. Chris spots a man hiding in a hole, and he he's you know being a little bit more a little bit more animated than usual. He's like screaming, come here, motherfucker. Get the fuck out, motherfucker. It's just, it's different. It's a level of intensity we haven't seen yet. So Chris still yells at the villagers, you know, pushes them around. This villager is just smiling. The other soldiers tell, you know, Chris, shoot, shoot him. Chris tells the villager to dance and fucking shoots at his feet, yelling, dance, motherfucker, dance. Uh, And, you know, Chris just starts like breaking down. Bunny, another soldier, gets in his face, you know, calling Chris a pussy. Bunny is, you know, getting intense. Cause, you know, because they, you know, all these, the, he's thinking, you know, they killed his friend. Bunny knocks down the villager and then fucking beats his face in. He's just like, hell yeah, man. Look at that. Look at the blood splatter everywhere. That hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's immediately, that's immediately you sit there as the, per, as the, as the viewer. And obvious, obviously the freaking response is just like, okay, Bunny is unhinged. Yeah. All right. And, and then, but I also just love how I, I just love I just love how the how how Oliver Stone uses Bunny's character throughout mm-hmm. throughout uh the story. Cause I feel like without Bunny, I feel like there wouldn't be I, I feel like you would spend too much time hating Barnes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Bunny really is a good does he's, a he's like Bar- of, he's like Barnes Jr. Essentially, yeah, he's he's essentially just a hate magnet, mm-hmm. and that makes it e- and that makes allows Barnes to be a much better villain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you can really tell like each of these characters they have like their own reasons for being there. They have their own, um, you know, that you can tell which one they're going to be siding with. You know, who kind of lines more like good, who lines a little bit more evil. And then there's soldiers mm-hmm. like O'Neill in this scene who just like, you know, saw the whole thing and is like, let's get out of here. I didn't see a fucking thing. And then just leaves. Yeah, he's just, there's the one, yeah, yeah, you know what? In this movie, if you see something, you should say something. Exactly. O'Neill is not the good guy <laughs> for not saying anything. So now outside. Soldiers interrogate a man who's got wounds just covering him. The soldiers question, like, why why does this village have so many weapons? You know, Barnes gets all pissed. He yells in Vietnamese at the guy. This guy's like, I don't know anything. You know, I hate the NVA, too. This is just a farming community. Everyone's yelling. This woman walks up and yells at the soldier. Barnes has had enough of this and fucking shoots the woman in the head. And the guy cries and a child cries as well. Like, if you had any doubt as to who the bad guy is, just look at it's after this. And if you don't know that, I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, go get help. Seriously. Yeah, it's, it's the if your crazy ass is incapable at this point of sussing out who the not good guy is, 
then you should. I yeah, I think I think you need to like read a book or two about like I don't know character development or something. Jesus. So then Barnes tells uh, Lerner, another soldier, uh, to talk. Chris is a witness to everything. One soldier, he he wants to kill the whole village. Barnes threatens a guy's daughter. You know, puts a gun to her head. A fucking child in front of her dad, and it's just yelling back and forth. And then. Elias appears out of nowhere being like, uh, hey, um, what the fuck? <laughs> it's well, what's also nice is that it this sir, this whole moment, because you're sitting there just just white knuckling the entire time, going like, Oh my god, is Barnes gonna just freaking freak out and kill a kid? Mm-hmm. Is he gonna freak out and just shoot a child? And the entire time you're just waiting for this horrible thing to happen and then elias comes and you just sort of breathe you breathe a sigh of relief you're like oh thank christ oh thank, thank god christ the, parent, the parents here the parents you're here. like oh thank god someone sane has arrived so elias decks barnes and the two have a quick scuffle the other soldiers yell for their for you know their respective guy to win and eventually the fight is broken up barnes yells threats to elias wolf then speaks up he's like torch the place round up the weapons elias is like Wolf, why the fuck didn't you do anything? Then storms off. Chris is just kind of like there through the whole thing, just being a witness to everything as he walks past the dead mother on the ground. We go over with Bunny, he lights some house blaze. The rest of the soldiers destroy the town, blowing up buildings and the like. Chris is still witnessing tragedy and then comes across some of his fellow soldiers trying to uh, take advantage of a Vietnamese villager. And yes, Chris has the appropriate response, like yelling at them and scolding them and, you know, saving the girls like it's all really fucking messed up. Yeah, it's again, again, you really the the this is this scene in particular is a really compelling one. Mm-hmm. It's very it's the first time you get sort of a clear line in the sand. You get mm-hmm. allude, you you're you're alluded to who the bad guys are. I mean, but outside of Barnes and Elias, it's kind of just a free for all, realistically. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of Taylor's supposed to be the guy in the middle, wondering who to go for, mm-hmm. and then Elias is the guy who's like, "Peace and love, brother. Let's not be completely horrible to each other." And mm-hmm. Barnes is like, "Let's stab babies," but. Everyone else is kind of just this weird amorphous point Mm -hmm. up until this sort of scene. Mm -hmm. And then it's almost like a freaking line gets drawn in the sand and everyone just breaks to one side. Mm -hmm. And according to the DVD commentary, um, this scene where Chris saves the girls, Oliver Stone said it was inspired by an incident when he was in Vietnam. He intervened uh, in an assault on a villager. So, I mean, war is absolutely yeah, it's, tragic it's, you know what Sh- good g- good on you oliver good on you i mean that's what you're supposed to do but good on you <laughs> so why so um uh, let's see I, let's I, let's see if i can find where my place was uh yeah so the soldiers escort the villagers away from their home you know with the village on fire later the soldiers they arrive in a field and elias is talking about a report you know how wolf was a witness to a shooting barnes is going to give a report you know one of the higher-ups uh, says if he finds out there was an illegal killing, there will be court-martial. The plan is to attack the NVA bunker complex from the east. Uh, the high, This higher up there leaves. You know, there's beginning to be some tension. There's already tension, but like you can really tell the tension here between Elias and Barnes, where we see Junior also ranting about other soldiers. You know, some of them are crazy. 
Junior saying things are getting out of a hand out of hand. Big Harold's just fucking hurting inside. Now go oh. over poor poor forest. Poor Big Harold. Harold. Poor Forrest. Poor Forrest. <laughs> the poor guy can't catch a break, huh? Yeah, so uh, over with Wolf, you know, Barnes and Wolf talk about Elias. So Neil brings Barnes a cigarette. Some soldiers think Elias is a rat. You know, they're thinking, so someone better frag his ass. And we focus on Barnes for a little bit. Later that night, Chris and Elias sit out and look at the stars. It's nice, just a nice character moment between the two. You know, Chris thinks Barnes has it in for Elias. Elias says what happened today is the beginning and, you know, they're going to lose this war. It's time, you know, that America got its ass kicked, which if you know anything about the Vietnam War, I mean. <laughs> I'd, he, you, you know what? Considering what happened in Vietnam, there's a little bit of deservedness, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, 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 you hear all about the history of Vietnam and you don't go, man. Man, what a winner we were. You go, Jesus Christ. You go, oh my God. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, we we could do better. We didn't, we didn't turn out too good on that one. Yeah. You're like, ooh, ooh, that's, a, that's an F minus. Ooh. So the next day, it rains. More Chris voiceover. You know, day by day, I struggle to maintain my sanity. I have no energy to write. Half the soldiers are with Elias. Half are with Barnes. Counting the days and the six inches in front of my face. Tell mom and dad, well, just tell them, Chris. We never really get a pick. They really never get a clear answer to Chris's relationship with his parents. But just from these letters that he's uh, that he's monologuing to his grandma, we can we can kind of tell there is like a little bit a little bit going on there, which, again, it's just a nice fleshing out of his character. What I also love is that there's a progression to it too. It's not mm-hmm. like it's not like Stone just put this in to like act as a sort of inner monologue for Taylor. I mean, it doubles as it, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. But it also has its own little sub sort of storyline because mm-hmm. you can not only follow the actual progression of the war, but you can also follow the progression of Taylor and his own mental state because of how he's talking with how he's talking in the letters. Because it starts out with him going like Dear Grandma, how are you? I'm doing swell, thank you. Well, it's a lot. It's it's a real funny world out here, and then it slowly progresses into like everything's bad. Mm-hmm. I can't trust anyone anymore. Things, things are, are not, not going good. Well. <laughs> it's exactly. It's like things are not all right, all right, all right. <laughs> it's just. It, it's really cool. It genuinely is really, really cool just to see that sort of progression play out in a different way. Mm-hmm. Now we see Elias. He's off patrolling alone. Over with the other soldiers, Big Harold talks. Chris removes a leech from his face. Junior almost drinks river water. Warren eats a sandwich. And I don't really know how to explain it, but it's all of these little moments of realism between characters that just make this film so fascinating. Again, everyone gets to have their own little moments of just, you know, feeling like an actual person. It's really nice. And with what what I think a common pitfall is with a lot of these movies that have a lot of these big names and characters and actors who have a lot of chops, a lot of these people don't really when you give each character a moment in the sun, I sometimes it can almost feel forced. Like mm-hmm. you're like, all right, well, we gotta well, this person can't we got to force them into this thing somehow so they can get their 10 minutes in. Mm -hmm. But here it's 
what I really do love about it is everything is so organic about it. It doesn't feel, you don't sit there and go, oh, Johnny Depp's on screen. Okay, so the, Oliver had to bring him in. You go, oh no, that's Lerner. He had to come in because yeah. he serves a purpose and it's mm-hmm. relevant to the scene, which I really, really love. Because even in some of these good movies, you do occasionally stop to yourself and go, was this person brought in because they got a big name? Was Let's be honest with ourselves. But here, Dude, I, listen, I never even thought that. Listen, we've encountered that a lot on this podcast. Just, oh, here's Seriously. the famous person. Here, here is fucking Christopher Walken for Geely. Here's Al Pacino, also in Geely. <laughs> here to get the so bag. Much right, see ya. So much in Geely. It's now deeper but, in the woods. It continues to rain when suddenly gunfire rings out. Learners hit, Warren's hit, the NBA has an RPG. It's an ambush. It's, it's been a while since we've had an action scene. So let, let's get into some action here. So Chris runs up trying to, you know, find people. Barnes just walks through a war zone like he's taking a Sunday stroll, which that little bit of acting, you really see, okay, it's- this is the type of person <laughs> Barnes is, type of dude that can like just fucking, I don't know, take a nice little jog through a war zone and not feel threatened in the slightest. That's, that is a hardcore, that's a hard freaking scene. That is a hard scene where it's just Barnes just walking with a purpose. Like, like he, 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 he speed has walking. Same, exactly. He's power walking and he has this look on his face, like the same face I have when, when, when like a seagull took my ice cream cone down the road and I got to chase after it. Like, I'm just sitting there just like, God damn it, I'm going to get this son of a bitch. Like, How often just, does that happen? Chicago's a wild place, you know, not being near the sea and all. <laughs> okay, so Chris hides, you know, spots Lerner. Warren tries to, you know, puts his guts back in himself. Chris Army crawls over. Elias yells at Wolf his plan. Barnes then appears and yells. Elias yells out his plan. He needs three men. Barnes gets in Elias's face. Now, out here, you belong to me. Elias says, fuck this, and runs off. Chris throws a grenade that explodes in an enemy's face. Then explosions just start going off. Short rounds. One shoulder's, one soldier's skin is caught smoldering and burns his skin. Big Harold trips a line and gets caught in an explosion. Chris is just bringing bodies. One soldier, Lerner, asks you know Chris to stay by his side. But Chris summons uh, gets summoned by Elias and some other men. Barnes yells at Wolf and calls him incompetent for giving out wrong coordinates. Yeah, Wolf, ain't he the fucking worst? (laughs) Sorry, I had to to fucking swallow. There's a lot of action going on. It's making my throat dry. It's it's really, exactly. You're you're so on your toes for the action. Dude, it gets me going, man. It gets the people going. (laughs) So over with Elias and his men, Chris being one of them, Elias gives out orders. Uh... Uh, Elias is going down by the river in case the enemy tries to flank them. Chris offers to go with him, but Elias says, no, I I move faster alone. He runs off. You go over with Barnes. He gives orders to head back to the church. Barnes says he's going to go get Elias. Over with Chris, total silence. The other two soldier he's with spot the NVA. Chris takes aim, and the three soldiers start firing at them. Chris screams out, Ho Chi Minh sucks dead dick as he's fucking shooting. I'm like, there's the Charlie Sheen that we all know and love. Yeah, hell yeah. That's, that was the start. That was the start. This was this was the this was the fire starter, you know, saying Ho Chi Minh sucks dead dick. And then it was just the domino effect of him going, I got tiger's blood in Adonis DNA as he's ripping a cigarette. 
<laughs> so Crawford, one of the other soldiers, gets hit. Barnes appears and tell these men, uh, tells the men to retreat to the church. Barnes is going to get Elias. The three soldiers run off. Back with Elias. He's alone in the woods. We see the NVA running through the forest. They're getting closer, back and forth, cutting. Elias encounters the NVA squadron, shoots them, kills them dead. Barnes is also out in the woods, shoots some people. You know, the cutting here is like, it's so disorienting. But that's really the point. These woods, they're supposed to feel like, you know, you're lost in them. And this movie's editing does a great job of giving you that, like, where the fuck am I feeling? It is, oh my god, you don't even realize you're disoriented until you just see these characters run through the woods and then they're looking around confused and you're like, you're confused? I'm confused. How are you? How are you? Like, it's so, it's really good. It genuinely is. You don't even know you're lost until, until it's like so far gone. It's really nice. It's really disorienting. Insert the Lost title card coming in. This whole movie actually takes place on the island from Lost. Oh, I, no. I'm not, look, I, don't shoot you the messenger. I'm just I'm just presenting you with the facts, man. I just love the idea that you just see one of the NVA just peek out from a tree, and they just pull off their helmet, and it's Hurley. Oh, <laughs> the NVA is just a bunch of Hurleys this whole time. It's, it's just it's just an army of Hurleys. It's just 10 Hurleys just sitting there firing rpgs diving out of bunkers <laughs> and just yelling 4 8 15 16 23 42 i don't know how the fuck i remember i don't even know if those how the, right the fuck did you even remember Dog, that I, I think that's the right numbers i dude i was a huge lost fan back in the day i think i watched like <laughs> like 10 episodes and then i went ah, i think i kind of get the idea lock sucks and then i just and then i just left <laughs> really jump really jump the shark after like the second season and then it just gets fucking ridiculous <laughs> Hell yeah it does so back at the church chris drops off crawford and then chris he's running back in the woods because he's got to find bubba and over with barnes <laughs> he reloads his weapon takes aim it's elias music cuts out barnes sees you know that it's elias and the two they share this like knowing glance at first elias is happy but then he he, he knows what's coming we can just we can literally just tell with their eyes great fucking acting and barnes shoots elias what fucking great editing movie oh. what great perf- this is a prime example of when all of the parts of a movie the acting the cinematography the the fucking lighting the audio the editing it all mixes together to form this beautiful beautiful moment here it's, that hits it- you like a fucking bullet it it does it hits you like a freight train Mm -hmm. what's really nice about it is just like you said everything pairs together so great it's just this beautiful scene and you can see this is where i i i i call freaking foul Mm -hmm. for that oscar snub for defoe because Mm -hmm. You can see all of the all of those years of acting really just pay off here because you can see that slow change from relief that he's ready to go and they're about to leave all and you see all emotions on that spectrum from relief to to fear to sad realization of shoot me mm-hmm. go ahead you know you want to and Willem Dafoe was like just turned 30 when this movie was made i don't like that 
Mike we're almost <laughs> 30 and we haven't been nominated for an Oscar yet it's, you know what you know what it's we're gonna track down someone who's doing a movie about the intricacies of like I don't know the freaking what's what's the arc with, I guess it's the second Gulf War but we gotta I don't know the second the second Iraq War yeah we gotta we gotta find someone doing that and then we just jump in so Kristen encounters Barnes Barnes tells him Elias is dead and, you know head back just very coldly Chris is totally shocked by this he has questions but barnes tells him you know get moving chris wants to go check on his friends but he have yeah, fuck it he's he's got to be getting back back at the church the soldiers they load up you know the dead slash dying soldiers we see dead bodies that get picked up like sacks of meat and tossed in a helicopter big heralds also hurt there's start to be explosions all around the soldiers who just jump in the helicopter now in the helicopter chris looks down at the nva below where he yells out oh Fuck, they got Elias. Everyone, especially Barnes, is shocked by this. Wolf gives orders for the helicopters to go down and get Elias. And on the ground, we see Elias just running through a field, looking almost dead, runs out from the forest. He's crawling on the ground, NVA all around him. The helicopter's shooting at enemies. And we get that classic shot that was parodied in Tropic Thunder and plenty of other movies (laughs) of Elias just throwing his arms up in the air. Me personally, I think Tropic Thunder did it better. No, I'm kidding. Uh, like and you now, just don't care. <laughs> apparently, that's actually based off of like an actual image. So, like an actual oh, image really? in Vietnam. Yeah. Oh Jesus Christ! And you're like, oh, ooh, that make, that takes the context of the Tropic Thunder parody to a bit of a darker, darker route. <laughs> it's a, that's a really dark extreme. <laughs> so, anyways, Elias is dead. Uh, they uh, and up in the helicopter, Chris and Barnes they share a knowing glance. Now, back at base in the weed tent, Chris talks to a fellow sh- soldier, Ra, about how he knows that Barnes killed Elias. Chris is, you know, speaking with passion. The other soldier says, look, let, mil- let military justice get him. Then Ra says for the rest of the soldiers, you know, watch their own ass. Elias didn't ask them to fight his battles for him. Chris calls Barnes a murderer. Ra gets up in his face, but Barnes ain't meant to die. The only one who can kill him is him. And then Barnes just fucking, like... Dragon Ball Z teleports in out of nowhere and gets involved with the discussions. And Barnes is like, you know, tell me about killing potheads. Barnes is like, I don't need weed. I am I am reality. Elias is full of shit. He was a crusader. When he don't do what he's told, the machine breaks down. When the machine breaks down, we break down. I ain't going to allow all that in any of you. And then Barnes just spits right in front of Chris like a nice guy. And Barnes is like, y'all loved Elias. Here I am all by my lonesome. Ain't nobody going to know six of you boys against me. And this man is fucking threatening like Chris, like try me, bitch. Try to kill me. And no one does a thing. I, okay. All right. One fantastic scene that there's so much tension. It's as if it's an actual fight that's Mm -hmm. just bubbling and just about to break out in front of you. Like it, I had the same feeling as when I just watched two people yell at each other and you're kind of like, Oh shit. Oh, sh- Oh shit. It's about to go off. It's and, and that's so fantastic. Also bars, just big dick struts in and goes, you guys hate me so much. Then go for it. I ain't saying nothing. And all of them are way too chicken to do anything. And I just gotta say, I wish I had that 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 those level that level of confidence in my abilities. Just being like, being like, all right, man, fine, 
come on, six of y'all, let's do this. Like, that's so, that's so hard. That's so freaking hard. Mike wants to walk into his job the next day and just be like, try me, motherfucker. Come on. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> exactly. I just sit there and I just like, I just go over to the loudspeaker and I just put in and I just plug in the freaking Mortal Kombat soundtrack and I just go, what's up, y'all? What's up? <laughs> what the fuck is up, Denny's? Audience, go to your boss and throw down a pair of UFC gloves and just, you know, motion ones like, huh? 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 You're like, you're like, all right, Don, I'll show you how it really goes down, huh? By the way, except Chris actually snaps up and attacks Barnes. And meanwhile, Barnes pulls out a knife on Chris and Raw talks Barnes down from not killing Chris. And, you know, Barnes just slices his face a little bit. Barnes is like, death, what do you all know about death? This dude's a fucking menace. We get more helicopters because it's Manvember. We get a voiceover. They send us back to the woods the next day. It felt like we were returning to the scene of a crime. And we get images of what of where they were yesterday. And it just looks so wild. They like they all look down and see some like NBA soldiers working down below. It feels different. And there's an actual threat. The helicopter lands on a different base. A bit more aggressive here because, you know, one soldier straight up fucking stiff arms an NVA dude. And Ra tells some others, talks to some other soldiers about how the NVA had a map of all the foxholes. Also, and they might also be in C- Cambodia. Wolf tells uh, Ramucci, another soldier, that he's got Elias' squad now. Wolf tells Ramucci that he's, you know, getting certain foxholes. But Ramucci remarks that, you know, my two holes are really far apart. You can run a re- uh, regime through them. I got five live bodies left. And Wolf responds with, I don't want to hear your problems. You get new bodies. We got to make do with what we got, which it's like, hey, I don't give a shit about these people. We'll get new ones. We'll make do with what you got. That's fucking war. That's damn. And again, that's bars. I, I don't know if I should be saying bars about people dying. Let me, let me, let me I just take that say, back. You know, you know, I did reply to that, and I just went like, went like, ooh, I don't know. That, that's 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 like that's human death, but okay. No, it's again, <laughs> wolf is so unlikable because he's one of those I get high on life assholes that makes you go like, oh, shut up. But then he also is just, he also proves himself to be unlikable in time and time again. Mm-hmm. Like he shows himself to be incompetent mm-hmm. in battle when it comes to, when it comes to uh, aerial support and mapping the coordinates correctly. Mm-hmm. And on top Not of that, Not doing his job, sh- yeah. Yeah, he just doesn't do his fucking job. And then on top of that, when Ra goes, I cannot perform the action that you request of me due to the fact that I have I don't have enough men. He literally goes, that is not my problem. And then he walks off. It's he's so him and Bunny are just so unlikable for completely different reasons. Dude, absolutely. So Wolf, like, like Mike said, doesn't give a fuck anymore. Now we go in the woods where Chris and King talk. Chris starts smoking. You know, he doesn't have anybody to be writing to. King reminisces about when Chris first got there. And Chris is like, you know, people like Elias get wasted. People like Barnes run this shit. It sucks. And King is like, just just make it out of here. Once you do that, you're all good. Then O'Neill appears and tells King, pack up your shit. Orders just came through. You know, the man is cutting him some slack. King is going to be on the next helicopter out of here. And King is like, word. Tells Chris to take it easy. There's no such thing as a coward out in Vietnam to hug it out. And Chris walks King out. I, you know what? Got to be the best feeling ever. Best feeling ever. I was like, that is, it's literally, 
I've never been to jail, never been to prison, never even been in a holding cell. Got to say, I have a sneaking suspicion. It's the same feeling of, yep, charge has been dropped. You know, zero dollar bail. Why don't you head out of here, bud? You're like, really? Like, okay, hell yeah, man, sure. You're just like, word, I'm I'm getting my ass out of here. Nice, <laughs> yeah, nice talking like, to you guys. You're like, yeah, have fun in have fun in the hole, assholes. So over with Barnes, he checks on Junior's foot. You know, it's all fucked up. Apparently, he sprayed mosquito repellent on it. And Junior yells back at Barnes. Barnes tells O'Neill, go get a long centipede to put in Junior's pants. And Junior you know, agrees, like, okay, okay, I can walk. And, you know, you just, you just can't take it anymore. Then Barnes goes to talk to O'Neill. And O'Neill's like, hey, I want to take three days to go to Hawaii for an anniversary. And Barnes rejects this idea. O'Neill says that he has a bad feeling. Barnes says, you know, everybody's got to die sometimes. Then walks off. Just a fucking stone cold motherfucker. That's just this poor guy was like, "Can I have three days to go to for my anniversary?" Like for my anniversary, <laughs> and Barnes literally went, "Shut the fuck up and get in your foxhole." And he's like, "Please, I don't ask for much. I literally, I kiss your freaking nads every day. Please, can I have three days off?" And he's like, "Nope." And you're like, "Oh my god." <laughs> so okay. Now, uh, King hops on a chopper and Chris says goodbye in the forest. Soldiers anxiously await an ambush. Bunny talks about his bad feeling and Bunny likes it in the war zone. You know, the only worry you got is dying. And, you know, if you do, you're not even going to know. So Junior enters the hole. He'll be sharing with Bunny, which I'm assuming, which I'm assuming he's going to be like shitting his pants because Bunny's an absolute fucking psychopath. Yeah, he says that is what's well, my favorite thing is mm-hmm. he's like. He Junior gets Junior is is sharing a foxhole with Bunny and Bunny is just like man I, just, I love killing I love it out here you just get to kill 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 it's so much fun I love stabbing people and Junior's like I hate you so much man <laughs> he's he's not even scared anymore he's not even scared of Bunny anymore he's like man can you just be normal for like a day like and not talk about stabbing people dude it's it's like hopping onto an elevator you know and then someone else goes on with you and it's like. You start off, you know, basics, you know, just, oh, you know, funny weather we're having. And then the guy just looks at you and is like, I've killed. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and it just keeps on going. And then the elevator door opens and you try to get off, but you can't. And so now you just have to like ride to the fucking top of the Empire State Building with a fucking psychopath in the elevator that's, with you. That's just like, okay, okay. That's, it's, it's oddly specific, but hell yeah. No, Not from I, personal I experience that. or anything. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you're, you're like, <laughs> Derek, please don't hurt me. <laughs> Guys, I'm blinking twice for help. I'm blinking twice for help. Please help me. <laughs> That's how me and Mike met and started this podcast. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I, I'm that guy. I am that guy. <laughs> so now over with the captain of the base. He's on the phone with a chopper. It's going down. Things aren't looking good. The soldiers hear gunshots in the distance. The captain can't hear the man on the other end. And then, you know, the line cuts out that night. We see the NVA prepping for an ambush. One of the flares gets tripped by the NVA. Chris spots it in his foxhole. Rock comes into his hole. You know, shit's apparently about to go down. An airstrike is coming. Don't get out of the foxholes. Raw exits. Chris waits. More more flares pop off. Next thing you know, another soldier runs into the foxhole. The NVA is on his way. Chris's foxhole buddy says, you know, he wants to leave, but Chris won't. Chris starts, you know, fucking setting off C4 and shooting at the enemy. Dude's a fucking killer in the battlefield. It's... Yes, this feels like this the straw that breaks the camel's back because mm-hmm. you just see 
Chris start to whittle and whittle down and you can, uh, and the, again, the, as I said before, the best way to tell is by Chris's like notes to his grandmother. Mm-hmm. And at this point in the movie, he stopped. Like mm-hmm. he has not written even King goes, why haven't you written anything to your grandma? And he goes, eh. and That's like, a good point, man. I didn't King's like, that. King's like, King's like, are you sure, man? Like, you really were writing to your grandma a lot. And, and, and like Taylor at this point is, or Chai Sheen's character goes, I don't know, nothing to write about. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, and you're like, Oh, that's odd. And then at this point you start to put, put the pieces together when a bloodied guy just dive rolls into the bunker and goes, y'all should get the fuck out of here. And he goes, no, I'm good. And I'm he just sort of like, yeah, he just, and he just readies his weapon. And you're like, okay this is a different taylor taylor has gone full full circle full circle so now explosions knock back chris he gets up then silence chris yells for them to get out of their hole things aren't looking good chris grabs francis the his uh foxhole mate and they get out of the hole right before it's blown up with an rpg chris runs straight into a firefight you know he's shooting and you know busting people's heads in screaming die you motherfuckers chris screaming oh how fucking beautiful what a lovely day over with junior he's scared he runs off while bunny continues to fire at enemies junior runs into a tree and then just knocks himself out and bunny (laughs) gets shot in the gut and has his uh, head blown off and junior he gets stabbed O'Neill is feeling hesitant about this, grabs a dead body, and he pulls it over him to hide from the NVA. It's total mayhem at the base. An NVA soldier runs in and blows up a building while he's holding on to a grenade. Wolf can't get in contact with anyone. They think Barnes is dead. Captain says they can't pull back anymore. They're going to have to stay in place, and they're going to have to fight, damn it. It's more people die. It's so quick. It's hard to tell who lives and who dies. It's utter chaos, but then again, that's fucking war. Mm -hmm. And the captain tells um to expend all uh, remaining in his position the jets approach the soldiers should get in their foxholes to live in the woods chris is an absolute fucking killing machine he spots barnes tries to grab him so they can hide but barnes turns around to kill chris like with you know an airstrike comes in drops a bomb we see like the flash of chris's face and barnes's face and barnes just is like you know has this fucking killer look ready to kill chris Yes. But the explosion knocks the two men back. It's it's great because amidst the chaos, you just see at this point, like Taylor, like Chris is just completely gone the same way as Barnes. Not mm-hmm. like in terms of moral depravity, but like in terms of just just being off his fucking rocker. He's ready mm-hmm. to kill. And he's just in this whole freaking killing mindset. And then you see him trip and he sees Barnes. And you just, what's great is once... As the bomb is getting dropped, you just see Barnes raise his hands to go strike Taylor. Mm -hmm. And you just see it in his eyes. Mm -hmm. Just this look of, look of just, it's just absent. It's just, just, just he's ready to kill. Pure venom. It's it's not even like coordinated crazy. It's just crazy at this Mm -hmm. point. And I just, I also just love that. That even amidst like the fighting, which earlier on in the movie was almost a uniting factor is now just devolved into pure hate filled like chaos because in the ambush in the middle of the movie, when they're having that big argument and it's like the civil war, everyone's on one side or another, everyone Mm -hmm. starts working together come hell or high water. It's only until things die down 
that betrayals come up again and people start betraying each other. Mm-hmm. But now at this sort of peak fever pitch point in the movie, all hell's broken loose and no one's respecting anything. And it's every man for himself, Dude, which is fu- really cool. Fucking exactly. Beautiful fucking film. The next day, Chris wakes up, you know, headband that he's wearing is still intact. Somehow. I don't know how that happened. Uh, he spots a deer slowly. He's slowly coming to, he, he looks all messed up, you know, barn struggles to his feet. You know, he walks around and spots loads of dead bodies with, you know, some people still crawling. Chris picks up his gun and walks through the destruction. He spots Barnes crawling. Barnes, he's asking for a medic, but Chris doesn't answer. The two share a knowing glance like Barnes and Elias did. Barnes, he accepts his fate and says, do it. And Chris shoots and kills Barnes. And Chris has shot at other people before. But this one felt a little bit different because this was like the first time we've Mm -hmm. seen it done in such a cold, just uncaring way. And I think that this is like the transfer, like the, the transformation is complete with Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's actually, I think I may have spoken too soon. It's very much, you see the wildness Mm -hmm. in the midst of the fight, but this is where the cycle is 100% completed. Mm -hmm. Like I do like the way you said it. It's, it's, it doesn't feel ceremonious. Like it Mm -hmm. feels very short and anticlimactic like you mm-hmm. expect as the viewer for barnes to get this horrible tragic he gets gored and eviscerated by the nva or something like that and like you see taylor so sort of run away being like oh glad it wasn't me but just seeing taylor just unceremoniously just plot a gun and just shoot him three times and walk away like there's mm-hmm. not even there's nothing there's no ceremony no music to it it's just he goes do it and there's without even blinking an eye taylor shoots him and walks away Mm -hmm. so chris now walks past some dead bodies and approaches some arriving soldiers he's the only one alive chris needs a medic but francis is also still alive but he stabs himself in the leg we'll get to that in a second (laughs) hell yeah francis hell yeah francis (laughs) there's a reason he did that which we'll get into in a second o'neill is still alive and you know the rest of the arriving soldiers they check on them we go back in base chris gets taken to a chopper while an assortment of soldiers and nba get tossed in a hole Captain looks on in horror. Chris spots Francis, and he explains that since both of them were injured twice, they're getting out of here. O'Neill gets told he's got a second platoon, so he doesn't get a chance to leave. But, you know, eh, is what it is. Chris and Francis, meanwhile, they got injured in battle, right? Right? Francis Francis got injured in battle. He didn't yeah. stab his leg. What are you talking about? <laughs> he got injured. That's exactly what happened. He got injured. So Chris gets carried off the battlefield into a helicopter as one of his soldier friends makes grunting noises at him and he salutes the remaining soldiers as the helicopter flies off. And we get one last voiceover. You know, Chris has kind of kind of come back. He's gone the farthest distance out and he's come back to his riding ways. I think now, looking back, we did not fight the enemy. We fought ourselves. And the enemy was in us. The war is over for me now, but it will always be there for the rest of my days as I'm sure Elias will be fighting with Barnes for what Ra called for the possession of my soul. There are times since I've felt like a child born of those two fathers, but be that as it may, those of us who did make it out have an obligation to build again, to teach others what we know, and to try with what's left in our life to find goodness and meaning in this life. And then we fade to white, dedicated to the men who fought and died in Vietnam. And yeah, that dude, that's the... What a, pow- what a fucking what a fucking 
powerful movie. Man, that's you know what? Ending Manvember on feels. Dude. Feels and feels and lessons learned. You it really does feel like a come full circle, like we started off with first blood. Classic action movie, you know, kind of a you know, straightforward. Then we go to Tropic Thunder that gets silly and wild. Like our like, you know, we are in our like mid twenty in our like, you know, college days to like twenties. But now this we watch this movie as, you know, older men. We are we are the wiser mm-hmm. after watching this one. Absolutely. And, and dude, like everyone is on their fucking A game with this movie. I'm so glad I watched this movie. Like I watched this movie the second time while I was taking notes. I watched this just unfiltered, you know, phone down, laptop down, and I just got the chance to enjoy a masterclass in a movie by Oliver Stone and everybody behind the scenes. Yeah. Oh my lord. Oh my mm-hmm. god. There's I don't think there's enough praise that we can give this movie past mm-hmm. just like everyone's on their a game everyone from from stone to the actors to the cinematographers to the to to the freaking key grip and gaffer like mm-hmm. everyone obviously put their whole effort into this movie and it freaking shows because it's a masterful movie that demands your attention mhm I would say for your if you want to do a drinking marathon with this one, I would I would say <laughs> don't I would say don't don't I would say don't. yeah. Do, here's what here's what you got to do. You got to sit down in in an evening when you have a free night. Pour yourself a nice glass of whiskey or scotch. Just turn off all of the lights and just experience this movie. I think you will be so so thankful for it. Exactly. I think experiencing. I think experiencing platoon with another person you have to i think is a very dangerous game in my opinion i feel Mm -hmm. like with platoon it should definitely be either be done alone or with one other person Mm -hmm. who is on the exact same wavelength as you like i'm talking like you and them have to be completely of the same mindset of we're gonna shut the hell up and we're gonna watch the movie absolutely that dude, absolutely. Well, guys, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of manliness, this is a this is ten out of ten dad caps. Oh, it's dude, absolutely ten out of, ten out of ten bent dad baseball caps. Dude, uh, we could go back and forth in this all day, so I'm just going to end it right now. But guys, <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in to Man Vember on the Messed Up at Midnight podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go follow us Instagram, Twitter, sorry X, YouTube. You guys know the deal. Stay up to date with what we got going on. And uh, yeah, Mike, do you have do you have any parting words for the people? It's, it's and there's nothing i can really say that's silly that's related to platoon so uh we're gonna be back in the saddle next week i i lied to the viewers uh with tropic thunder no we're gonna properly be back in the saddle next week with some with some regularly scheduled silliness it's we're, we're, ready. we're ready to jump into it i'm so ready but guys we'll see y'all next week see you next week everybody <laughs>